Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to go through all of the best, worst, most over and underrated front offices with friend of the show, Ben Baldwin. There could be a lot of surprises here as we're looking at it from an analytical angle. All that and more on this episode of Unexpected Points. All righty, the NFL draft. We survived it. Ben, I thank you for joining me on the pod. I believe, is it second or third time guest? Do you remember? I know you probably had this marked uh, in special in special lettering on your calendar when you have been on the show before. Yeah, for this specific podcast, it's at least second. And then there was your, uh, your prior uh, Thank You Sashi podcast that I was definitely <laughs> on at one point. And I, I remember that because... We talked about what it might take to uh, trade for Russell Wilson in terms of how many first round picks. And at, at the time, I think we concluded that like even three wouldn't be enough. And uh, fast forward a few years and uh, it was uh, two first round picks for Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah we were a little bit off. I, even though I was uh, leading the Russ is overrated bandwagon, which was, I mean, it wasn't like seriously overrated uh, in the past, but his, yeah, his status has fallen a bit, but I don't know. I think the hall was okay. I know. I know you disagree, and all Seahawks fans will disagree with what the hall was on that. But um, and, and yeah, and you reference Sashi, who is over my shoulder right here. Uh, for those watching, can see him on here. Who was also joined the Baltimore Ravens front front office as part of the uh, president of operations there, uh, a virtual super team now for for the Ravens, who I sure will be discussed as part of this episode. Um, Okay, so Ben, so I appreciate you putting this stuff together. We're going to go over our, our top front offices, bottom front offices, go through a few names for, for each at least, and then maybe ones that are a little bit over and underrated. It's a difficult exercise. Uh, I did this on the pod last year. Um, three out of the four worst front offices that I mentioned no longer have those GMs. Uh, they've all been sent packing. So the Bears, the Giants, and the Raiders were all mentioned. I also mentioned the Texans. So the Texans are still sticking around. We'll, 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 we'll see if, if we get to them or not as part of our rankings. And then the best front offices that I mentioned last year, we'll see how many repeats we have here. I had honorable, honorable mentions for the Bills and the Chargers. And then I had the Colts, the Browns, and the Ravens as the top three Probably should have mentioned the Eagles maybe as an honorable mention, but, but I think I forgot to do that during that episode. So that's just a little landscape on what happened last year. Now, what I think is interesting, and again, why I wanted to have you on the pod as opposed to someone else who was doing these type of rankings is I think our rankings are going to be a bit different than those going out there. And just for a frame of reference, and this is when we're going to get into the over and underrated stuff later. Uh, Greg Rosenthal at the NFL network nfl.com uh, around the nfl podcast i'm a big fan of greg's so this is not you know I'm, I'm not trying to call him out or anything like that but i'm just gonna this is a frame from a who i believe to be a smart nfl analyst ranked the front offices going into the nfl draft and his rankings i'll just give you this because this, this is this is kind of like the overarching frame on who his top, let's say, five rankings, five, six, seven rankings are here. So he had the Bills, the Rams, the Steelers, the Packers, the Bucks, 
the Chiefs, and the Saints. And let me tell you, uh, some of those may be on the other side <laughs> of the rankings for me. Uh, I don't know about you, Ben, but I think it'll be interesting to compare what we're doing here as opposed to what someone like Greg is doing. So why don't you tell me when you're approaching this exercise, what is your rubric? What's your framework for thinking about who the best NFL front offices are? Yeah, so uh, the way I think about this is um, looking at the decisions that teams make and whether the decisions that we see them make on the outside are consistent with kind of an, an evidence-based approach to team building and game management. So um, this is not like, for example, uh, we have now a, a lot of friends who have by now gotten hired by NFL teams. Like we, uh, I, I think for both of us, there's a lot of people that we think very highly of and uh, really respect their work a lot. Um, but this this is not a ranking of um, which teams have hired the smartest uh, quote unquote nerds because there's it's not just hiring the right people uh, although I, I think a lot of the teams at the top of our rankings will have done that but also the decisions that we can see on the outside are consistent with actually giving them um, a voice in the process so like if you hire a bunch of people and you don't actually listen to them then we're not going to see on the outside uh, any decisions that have been influenced by them and. We should know here that like this, this is we're very limited by looking at what teams actually do, um, like in, in terms of game management and how they approach the draft and free agency, and that is what we are, uh, I, I think at least, uh, at least I think basing this on rather than like the the internal things that we really can't see. So if if you're working for a team and <laughs> getting upset with this, that is completely within your right. But there are only so many things that uh, we can observe on the outside. Yeah, I think it's a good way to look at it. And again, I think that we can't ignore results because results feed back into how we judge the process. But there's not a one-to-one degree when it comes to results and being successful. And it's no surprise that, for instance, if you're looking at like Greg's top rankings here, again, with the Bills, the Rams, the Steelers, the Packers, the Bucks, the Saints, the Chiefs, um, those are all teams who have been highly successful through the tenure of those those front offices. And But to me, I'm going to give them maybe some credit for that because I think there are certain decisions and certain things that I've changed my feeling on as time has gone on. And I can kind of see the logic to it and building you know pieces into the puzzle, even if we don't believe each piece was acquired in the most efficient or diligent or best process manner, being able to put those things together and have a successful result is is meaningful. But I'm just going to downweight that severely, it seems, versus how most people would look at it on the outside. Are you in agreement with me on that? Uh, absolutely. Um, and I think the Bucks here are a good example where they've been successful, but a lot of that is because they signed Tom Brady, which any team would do. And like there, there are a lot of decisions that just aren't very good, like trading up for a kicker, uh, I think they're one of the teams that's invested the most amount of draft capital in running backs, and there's like they've been a successful team, but it's hard to like point to their uh, overall. Uh, in a lot of ways, their overall roster construction and philosophy is something that is um, analytically driven. Yes, yes, and then the the last thing here that I want to get into before we start is how forward looking can we be? About a number of front offices that haven't had that much of a tenure here now. Like as part of Greg's list here on NFL.com, he only ranks 22 front offices. He leaves 10 without ranking. Some of these, like some of these, is pre-draft or pre-draft too. So maybe we don't want to, you know, he wasn't able to rank them then, but we can do a little bit 
better job now, but some of them like the Panthers, the Texans, the, the Jaguars, like I think we can start to rank guys who've had a couple of different NFL drafts. The Lions are in there, uh, the Broncos and, and so on. Uh, but some other ones, like let's say the Bears, the Vikings, the Raiders, the Giants, uh, how do we feel about those front offices when we don't know anything really except for what they may have done this offseason with their signings, who they've decided to let go is also probably an important signal there, and what they decided to do in one NFL draft. How much do we weigh that versus how much do we think about priors that we might have had on what type of decisions they would make? Some of these guys are opaque. We don't really know who they are, but then others, you know, nerds would get all hot and bothered about the fact that uh, Quasi Odofomensa is now with the Vikings, but maybe not as hot and bothered post draft, you know, slightly. Um, so, how do we think about all those different things when it comes to these teams that we just don't know a whole lot about in those front offices? Yeah, that, that's a good question. The way I approach this is. For all of those teams you mentioned, I didn't think there... So what we're doing here is ranking the top five and the bottom five. And I don't think there was anything that any of those teams did that was uh, so egregious or so incredible that they ended up in those for me just because like, I, I think our, our prior should be that everyone is pretty close to average. And uh, for me, I didn't uh, I, I didn't see anything that made me deviate from those on uh, kind of the newer teams. Although like Minnesota is obviously one that will be uh, keeping a very close eye on. Yes, yes, they are definitely one we keep a close eye on. Um, although I, I don't think we want to. I, I think some people put a little too much into living or dying by the success of what uh, Quasi does there. Because uh, again, with Sashi, that was a similar sort of thing. We're going to live or die by the success. They go one in thirty-one. He gets uh, shown the door <laughs> pretty quickly. But now, in retrospect, you know, low-key kind of respect I think has been has been given to him. Oh, because of guys like Andrew Barry who have come in and others and how much his kind of philosophy is spread throughout the league. And of course, now, again, I mentioned he's he's come in as being uh, maybe not a decider within the Ravens on exactly what's going to happen, but someone highly influential in that organization. All right. So what we're going to do is I think I'm going to do a little back and forth where I'm going to let you say who your number one is first and then. I'll, it'll go to me, and if I have someone different there, then I'll mention who my number one is, and then you can kind of go back and forth to you. Uh, so why don't you lay it on us, Ben, the computer cowboy, the most one of the most hated men in all of the analytical sphere. When he tweets about running backs, it automatically gets quote tweeted 100 times with angry responses. Uh, who is your number one NFL front office? Yeah, and I'm excited to do this because Kevin and I have not talked about our top five or bottom five at all. So no. this is all a surprise to both of us. So, and the other thing that uh, I should say here before we get started is nobody here is perfect. So, like, there, yes. there's not a perfect team. Every single team has something that you could point to and say they they did this particular thing or this particular approach. Uh, they're they're not perfect here. They made a mistake here, and it was obvious at the time and didn't work out for them. So, yeah, well, I, th- I think I, even <laughs> even more so, and I mentioned this as kind of my draft review pod, I think it's easier to identify what we would believe to be a mistake than it is to give credit necessarily for a great move or, so, or something like yep. that. So I think yep. in some ways it's about making the fewest mistakes, whereas if you're grading teams on just how successful they've been mostly, then it's a little bit easier to differentiate like giving a lot of credit for, for you know, having the best pick in a particular draft, whereas it's a little bit harder for us to give credit going forward. It's more like from our, at least from my philosophy, and again, you could be different on that. From my philosophy, it is avoiding mistakes and every decision you make 
you're trying to get an incremental gain off of it, basically. And then the thought would be uh, on an expected value base, base point. And of course, there's huge variance within each one. So the thought would be by by accumulating all of these incremental gains, you're going to give yourself a larger probability of having a high-end outcome. But that doesn't mean necessarily smashing on all of these individual, easy-to-identify type of plays throughout the years. Yep. Okay, right. so with all Late that said... My my first one is the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, okay, we're we're in agreement there. We're in agreement with the Baltimore okay. Ravens. So, I, so I'm give, kind of give me your, your you rationale there. <laughs> I, I I was my guess was that you would have some somebody different. So in agreement so far. So my yes. Uh, so the the first thing I wrote down was they they don't make unforced errors for the most part. Um, and there there's a lot of other things that we can point to. They're like one of the things that we can observe about them is they're very good on fourth downs. Um, they have clear buy-in from the top, including from uh, their head coach, Jim Harbaugh, where he uh, at least says the right things about valuing numbers and what they mean. And like the the numbers are just the results of plays that have happened on a football field and that's meaningful. Um, it, it sounds like they have buy-in, not, not just from him, but um, in, in other places around uh, the organization. Um, they, they've been very good at accumulating draft picks. And if, if we want to talk about uh, the success of a team, they've been very successful organization for a very long time without having really elite quarterback play, except for uh, 2019 when uh, Lamar Jackson won the MVP. And we, and we saw that what that team looked like when they did have elite quarterback play. So I, I think all of those together are why I put them number one. And then the the kind of flaw that you could point to for every single team for the Ravens, it was, I, I really did not like their 2020 draft. This was the, the Patrick Queen, JK Dobbins draft. And it, it it's hard to say that um, it has aged well either. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was a little concerning. You can point to this year, and you can make a positional value sort of argument. I mean, I had the Ravens as being number one last year, while the Browns at number two, and I thought that maybe as time progressed, those might flip flop. But I gave more credit to the Ravens at that point in time for the fact that longer tenure, and I think. The most important thing, well, I don't know, maybe maybe I'll hedge a little bit. Not the most important thing, but the most difficult thing that a front office can do is when you hit on a player, you have success, you hit on a series of players in order to have success, you have success and you get into this feeling of, okay, if we can just retain all of these guys and make one more play, then that's going to get us over the top. That's going to get us right into where we need to be. And we see a lot of teams with that sort of philosophy. And what the Ravens have been, you know, collecting the most compensatory picks, uh, I think it was over the last 10 years, or somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40 con- compensatory picks. They're getting a ton, a ton of picks there. They are willing to let players go. I mean, Zedaria Smith is an example. You draft him in the fourth round, he's a success. You let him go to the Packers, and now you're bringing him back at a, at a much lower charge. There. So for the fact that they've been willing to do that, and we have a track we have a track record of them doing that again it puts you in a position for the sustained success and then you're hoping over the course of that sustained success making the playoffs multiple times over and over again you can get multiple peak seasons where you can compete for a super bowl and i think that is one area where even some other better front offices in a short term like who they're picking sort of sort of situation they probably don't have that which and which 
gives you a little bit of an edge. I mean, when you trade back a lot, when you get those compensatory picks, it gives you more margin for error. So even though we can point to certain picks as being on the air side for the Ravens, they have also built in a system that gives themselves margin to make those errors. Yep. Uh, full agreement there. Okay. All right. So then maybe I'll state who I move, who I have at number two here. And then you can tell me where, where you have this team. And this was a tough one for me because I kind of have the Ravens as being quite a bit higher at this point. Um, but my number two team is the Indianapolis Colts and Chris Chris Ballard there. Now, results haven't been so hot, um, at least versus expectations coming off of the Andrew Luck era. But I think if you look how things have been negotiated through there, while it would be easy to say, well, you should have traded up and drafted a quarterback, things like that. Um, you know, he didn't really have the ability to do so for a season when, Jacoby Brissett was there. The Carson Wentz trade, yeah, I, I think we know that was a mistake. I think I was more ambivalent about it, leaning towards it probably being a mistake for the Colts, but I understood some of the rationale be- behind having done it. Uh, it looks looks pretty bad now. Uh, you could quibble if you want with the DeForest Buckner trade and taking them out of the quarterback market for the fact that they traded a first round pick for DeForest Buckner and signed him to a bunch of money. That might be a little bit of a mistake, but in a similar sort of way to, as I talked about with the Ravens is they've been a good team about trading back. They've been a patient team, maybe too patient, according to some people in free agency with what they've done there. And even when you look at the Carson Wentz trade, how they work themselves out of that deal and this is going to come up with another team that I have in my, in my top five is sometimes it's not just about avoiding mistakes. It's about if, when you make a mistake, recognizing that mistake early, pivoting off of it and mitigating the loss there. And I think you could say with, with this deal for, for Carson Wentz, getting out of the deal, getting a second round pick uh, or a, a contingent second round pick and a third round pick being able to take some of those already and trade back somewhat in this draft to accumulate more value. They put themselves in a pretty good position there. Now they're still kind of lost at quarterback. And that would be (laughs) one of the downsides there when you want to look at what they may do with Matt Ryan this year. But I think even going back to Phillip rivers, when they brought him in for a year, I mean, they were very, very close to beating the bills and who knows where they could have gone in that playoff run. Even last year with Carson Wentz, they, I believe they were probably a better team than the Cincinnati Bengals if they would have made the playoffs and the Cincinnati Bengals went all the way to the Super Bowl. So I feel like he's had a little bit of bad luck, not perfect decision-making, but I just, when I listen to him talk about things, I like the process that he's going through, even if it's not perfect. So this this is our first, not only disagreement, but I didn't have the Colts in my top five. Yeah. <laughs> and tough, tough, tough situation here. Okay. Yeah. Tough so switch. I think some of this is... Uh, I think Carson Wentz is maybe the player that you and I have always disagreed most strongly on. So, <laughs> um, so I, I saw it like there was at the time I was very surprised about the Carson Wentz trade. When they made the trade, they said he, he looked good in these five games in 2019 against bad opponents and like everything about the process. Um, I, I just did not think was a good idea. I, I agree that they did a good job of um, making the most out of a bad situation, but that, that trade was a big ding for me. And again, all these teams aren't perfect, so everyone made mistakes, but I, I think that one is a pretty big mistake. Um, they, they needed a quarterback, and I don't think once was worth the risk at the time. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out. Um, 
the, the Buckner trade was um, probably not a good idea. Um, like he's a great player, but trading a first round pick for a defensive player who needs an extension is usually not a move that works out. Um, and then there, there've been other moves that I think you could say they have worked out, but weren't necessarily a great idea. So they spent uh, the six overall pick on a guard who has been incredible. So I, I think the front office and fans are fine with that, but uh, maybe not like the, the actual best move at the time. They traded up for a running back who's also been amazing. So I, again, it, it's one of those kind of process versus results things. And like, they have they have been good on fourth downs. They have been good in free agency. They, they have a lot of um, marks in their favor. So I put them, um, I have an honorable mention uh, category at the bottom and, and they were the first team I wrote down. So I, I don't think they're, uh, I don't think it's crazy to have them in this list, but they they just weren't for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough. I, let's talk about the Carson Wentz thing maybe a little bit more because one of the things that – well, maybe we talk about the quarterback situation generally for the Colts. So if you were in Chris Ballard's situation, there wasn't much you could do when Andrew Luck retired. So I guess that was heading into the 2018 season. And then uh, in he, 20, he played 2018, and then 2019 oh, was the Rivers year. Yeah. One there was a Brissett year, was there not? Uh, that was wasn't that 20? It was 2017 when Luck was. So, so I think injured. 20. I think 2019 was Brissett. 2020. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, so 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 I, I, I was still year. off. Yeah. I was still off. So 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 20. <laughs> so going into the 2019 season. The, you know, he Andrew Luck famously retired during the middle of a preseason game. So there wasn't exactly a lot of time to pivot at at that, at that point in time. Um, They have Jacoby Brissett for that season, which is, uh, which is ugly. Then they make the move for Phillip rivers. Again, they make it to the playoffs. They almost beat the bills uh, in the wild card round. Then the next season is when they bring in Carson Wentz and, now moving on to, to Matt Ryan. So how would how do you think they should have approached that? Or is it just really that Carson Wentz move that you're the you quibble with? Because I think some people are, and it kind of reminds me of the philosophy of well, just just get rid of this middling quarterback or this above average quarterback you have and just just always be shooting for this elite guy. And it doesn't matter if your team completely falls on its face for one season. Have the Colts just been too conservative in that way, trying to avoid that that floor outcome after they saw what happened with Jacoby Brissett, basically, and, and not going for a rookie quarterback? Or are you okay with this philosophy of let's let's try to get some average to maybe slightly above average quarterback play? And Rivers, at least, did did give them that. Um, in the veteran market, but have to continually figure out who that option is going to be. Yeah, so I'm, I'm completely fine with the Rivers move. Um, and I, I, if I were them, I maybe would have even like begged him to uh, yeah. stay, stay one more year. Yeah, why not bring him play? back? I thought he was perfectly <laughs> fine. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and then and I'm fine with the Matt Ryan move. Um, I, I think at, at one point they will have to take a swing to get a quarterback because you can't live like this forever. And, and they would say that that, that was what they're trying to do with Wentz, but um, I, I just don't think Wentz is the guy that you should be doing that for. Okay. And then one other thing that I'll mention is that, like, from a front office perspective, another thing that I am a little bit ambivalent, I know I use this word a lot, but the ambivalent about is, like, how much you should heed the advice and the input of other very important people within the organization. I mean, the head coach is more important, I think, 
generally is viewed as such, makes more money as the public face. The head coach is kind of more important than the GM in some ways, uh, no matter how you have that working relationship. And it seems like through the years, some picks that they haven't liked, that I haven't liked that they've made, uh, I think Paris Campbell, Jonathan Taylor maybe is one of them too, where Frank Reich is certainly like hot and bothered to get these players uh, and and what they've done. And he was extremely hot and bothered to get Carson Wentz. And he, you know, it's been well documented that it was, this was a trust me thing. This was a trust me thing. So you respect the guy, you respect his process. He's been a good head coach from a process standpoint with what he does, you know, fourth down decisioning, other thing that he's clearly open and listening to. And he says, trust me on that. Can we, give any excuses, any discount to the, you know, the badness of that Carson Wentz decision for the fact that he is trusting his head coach in this circumstance, or should we ignore that totally? Yeah, I I think that's fair. It it does make it hard to say no when your head coach, who is probably a great head coach, uh, is begging you to do this. Um, And uh, we've seen uh, other team, teams take swings for quarterbacks that I'm, I'm sure was in part influenced by head coach. And I'm thinking of the 49ers and Rams here. So, yeah. Um, it, yeah. So it, it does make it harder when like you have a head coach who's, who's probably a, a very good offensive play caller, which is probably the biggest edge that a head coach can give you. And, and he's asking you for this, uh, this player who he has worked with before. So uh, yes, I, I absolutely agree that it, it would make be harder to say no in that situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, it's always like, you know, the buck stops here sort of situation. We can't uh, say that it, it doesn't count, but that's something that I at, least, I at least think about a little bit. Okay, so then I will turn it over to you then, since you clearly have a, a team who is second that is not in my second team. We'll see where this goes. Maybe maybe this is going low, <laughs> lower on my list. Maybe not even honorable mention. So hit me with who is your second team, Ben Baldwin, for best front offices in the NFL? So I, I was actually sort of thinking about putting them first, but I have them second here, and this is the Buffalo Bills. Okay, all right. It hit me with it. Okay, so at, at a high level, they they have done what I think the nerds would want them to. So they didn't have a quarterback, so they took a swing uh, on a quarterback. They traded up. They went and got Josh Allen, and in the time since, they have um, surrounded him with uh, offensive weapons. So they, they went and got Stefan Diggs. They, they signed a lot of wide receivers and free agency and then taken all these kind of later round dart throws at wide receiver and kind of built up their offense that way. Um, another, uh, another small piece is that while I think injuries are very random, there are a couple teams that year after year after year tend to have their guys healthy and, and, and the other team will come up later in this, but the Bills, um, in the past four seasons, they've they've been one of the two healthiest teams two different times, and then they've been kind of in the top ten uh, a couple of other times, at least by Football Outsiders metric. And I think there is probably some degree of non-luck there, and hopefully they won't all get injured this year and make me look dumb after this. Um, and then the, the other pro on their side is, uh, at least in the past few drafts, they've, uh, they've spent – uh, most of their high picks on premium positions. And then if we want to go to the the mark against them, um, they, they spent a lot of day two picks on running backs. And then kind of the the biggest maybe tiebreaker is that um, they they did this uh, trade up for Tremaine Edmonds a few years ago with, with the Ravens. And when looking at that trade, 
I don't think that there's uh, and looking at the teams involved, I, I, I could not put Buffalo number one um, given given that that trade that those two teams made with each other. So that's how I uh, ended up with the Bills at two. Okay. Okay. So I oh, see we are we are a little bit out of alignment here because I had them right outside of the top five and it was tough though. I thought about making them fourth or fifth, but I'm okay with it. Maybe I'm trying to be a little too contrarian here because again I mentioned how. Uh, Greg Rosenthal's rankings had them number one. I think they would commonly be seen as maybe not number one, but but near the top. And so, okay, so here's here's my beef. Here's my beef with some of this. You mentioned the Tremaine Edwins thing. So the Josh Allen, trading up for Josh Allen. I have come more around to the fact that we shouldn't necessarily – ding teams for trading up for quarterbacks or really think like this guy is a bad quarterback. So therefore it's a bad trade up, but I guess I still have a little bit of an issue with when it comes to Josh Allen, because even looking through a lot of quarterback prospects sort of stuff that I've done, I just have trouble figuring out like how this guy ended up being good. I guess I put him in a different bucket than someone (laughs) like, like even Justin Herbert. Like I could kind of figure out how Justin Herbert ended up being good a little bit, a little bit more than him. So, so that was kind of the one major move. And then, as far as the draft and being able to trade back, you mentioned the running back thing. I'm a little bit off on that. You know, they traded up a little bit a couple of times here or there, which wasn't great. And then the other thing is, and I think this is interesting, is if you look at what they've done to build this team, it wasn't a team completely built through free agency, but they have a lot of like big name players, uh, you know, the, the great safety tandem, um, other guys that they brought in on the offensive line. Uh, they make the trade for Stephon Diggs, and I think that's probably like a great trade. So I, I give a lot of credit to trades, and I think I thought that was an excellent move, despite the fact you could say, oh, well, they could have had Justin Jefferson. I mean, let's forget about that. Um, but some of the building through free agency I'm a little bit uncomfortable with because, for me, it's not really a repeatable process to bring in guys and to hit on a bunch of free agent picks. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, and maybe that's – Maybe they had to invest in free agency in part because they were missing all these picks from the Josh Allen trade and other trades they made, and that that won't be as much of an issue going forward where they actually do have their own picks. But uh, and the other thing I didn't even mention was they they've also been really good on fourth down, so that that's another point in their favor. But um, I I agree that they're once we get down the list to these teams, there there are always kind of flaws that we can point to as well. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. I mean, I like Sean McDermott. Uh, he was. So reportedly the the first choice of the Browns nerd brain trust to come in and be head coach uh, in 2016 before uh, Haslam came in and, and tapped Hugh Jackson there. What a disaster. Um, so I feel like he probably had, he also is probably a coach just independent of the front office who is good about those sorts of things, or at least is open to those sorts of things. They've gotten a little bit worse though uh, 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 recently. Okay. So third here, and this was a hard one for me. This is like, I feel like there's kind of like a tear drop sort of situation. And I'm going to try to like keep out a little bit more of the feelings around the just general ickiness of the Deshaun Watson situation and go ahead and put the Browns at number three in my rankings Again, I was very against the Deshaun Watson, um, the Deshaun Watson trade for the fact of kind of 
I mean, I'm not going to go with like your, your sack or you're losing your soul or whatever else going into it, but it's just like, I believe I'm not comfortable. That was the used word that they used a lot in this press conference when they talked about signing them is how they got comfortable. Everyone got comfortable. The owner got comfortable. The GM got comfortable. The coaches got comfortable. I'm not, I, I would not be comfortable. So I understand that I'm quite different than NFL teams though. I understand that there were four teams who were, you know, bending over backwards in, in this bidding process. And reportedly there were something like 14, 15 teams who were interested in uh, Watson, but were not, but were cut out as part of this final four. So if you start to get up to 14, 15 teams and how many teams don't have like a pretty above average or elite quarterback, it's almost like everyone was throwing their, their hat in, in this one. It doesn't discount and excuse the decision, but I'm just going to throw that out there at the beginning to say that I probably am dinging them a bit for this, but, but maybe not quite enough in some people's minds. And I understand that. Um, But I do think the Baker Mayfield quarterback situation, as we've seen here with the fact that no one else wants to take a shot on a year, 18 million potential long-term Baker Mayfield as your quarterback has kind of proven the point that, you know, independent of the, the, the allegations, you know, going all in to get this type of high level elite quarterback play is, you know, clearly the good move, but it's not exactly a unique move for what they've done. Uh, another downside for me with them is they haven't really let anyone go. Uh, they signed Denzel Ward to, which I don't think was a horrible contract because it's a couple of years out from what um, Jalen Ramsey signed, but they signed him to the biggest contract ever. They re-signed uh, Nick Chubb. They brought back Kareem Hunt on a pretty low, lower sort of contract. They gave a lot of money to Miles Garrett. They haven't really said we're going to let X player go. They've been one of the most expensive teams in the league in their cash spending as they've come off of having all of this cap, uh, extra cap through the years of, you know, th- through the tanking year. So again, that's another downside. But I think generally, if you look at where they prioritize their draft picks starting in the uh, the 2020 draft when they first t- took over, focusing on offensive tackle, focusing on cornerback, uh, not using any draft picks, obviously, on running backs. You know, uh, uh, inside line, uh, off-ball linebacker last year, but trying to get someone at who plays a little bit more of a hybrid mold in uh, Jeremiah Wusakoromora was a pretty good move. And I think just generally the, the results that we've seen on the field as far as the ability to – leverage fourth downs and things like that has been something that they've leaned into and all are in alignment there. So I'm putting them there, but again, you know, I'm still, still going to take a little time for me to get comfortable, quote unquote, comfortable if ever around the Deshaun Watson uh, situation, but he's going to be playing at some point this year and their Super Bowl odds went up quite a bit because of it. So I have the same team here. Um, I I thought you were going to be higher on the Browns because I see you as like the, the Cleveland Browns, expert. So I actually actually didn't write down um, a lot of stuff here. Um, And you touched on a lot of what I was thinking. So like having them here is not an endorsement of the Deshaun Watson trade. If I worked for the Browns, I would not be very comfortable with the trade or be happy that they traded for him. Um, And at the same time, he's going to help them win a lot of games, which again, is not an endorsement of the trade, but that's just how how the league operates. they yeah, so yeah. the the knocks against them are like the uh, the Nick Chubb contract extension was not a good move. You can say that it like it's it's not a big deal. It's not a huge portion of the cap, but the, like there's there's no plus plus EV argument that like 
paying a, a, a top of the market or close to it running back extension is a good idea. Uh, they traded up for an off-ball linebacker in the second round last year, which I think you said you liked. So I, I think we were in disagreement there. And then another like high-level view of their team build is they they just haven't really invested in receivers since the Odell trade, which uh, I thought was a good trade, but obviously didn't work out for them. And now their like their receiving depth chart is just uh, not not pretty. Unless I missed, actually, they I think they signed. Uh, oh, they're, were they the team that traded for Amari Cooper? Yeah, yeah. So they have they okay, have Amari so Cooper. I, I you're right. That. You're right. Outside <laughs> of that, it's it's a third round, late third round rookie and a rookie from a third round rookie from last year who looked pretty not good, and then a sixth round pick from a few years ago who's been okay at best. So yeah, it's it's thin. Yeah. So yeah. So it's not as bad because I forgot about the Cooper thing, but it's still like they're it's not an inspiring uh, wide receiver room. Um, but yeah, they're they're good on fourth downs. Uh, Kevin Stefanski seems open minded about what what the nerds are saying, um, and they like this isn't the results part that we're judging on judging them on. But they they have hired a lot of like technically sound and talented people. So that that's my my pro Cleveland argument. All right, so we're we're in alignment there. Uh, let's. I guess we'll flip it back to you then. For who is your your fourth team then? So I see the the top four as kind of in one tier, maybe with um, the uh, Baltimore and Buffalo at the top. But all of all of these, I think, are the at least for me the the top four teams. And number four, I have the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think this starts with buy-in from the top from Jeffrey Lurie. So they, they've had a lot of turnover in terms of like the actual people working there. Um, and like, obviously Doug, Doug Peterson was buying in on fourth downs. He's not there anymore. Um, and some other analysts that used to work there aren't there, aren't there anymore. But as long as you have buy-in from the top, I think um, our expectation is they should continue to be somewhere up here. Um, some good things that they have been doing are um, like the, the Jalen Hurts pick when they already had Carson Wentz on the roster um, that, like, I think that raised some questions at the time, but has shown shown to be, um, with the benefit of hindsight, a shrewd move of always having, um, if, if you're not completely sold on a quarterback, always having um, other options you can turn to, and that allowed them to trade Carson Wentz and have somebody there to replace him. Um, along with the Wentz trade and other trades, they've, they've done a really good job of amassing draft picks uh, with that trade with the Dolphins last year, where they picked up an extra first for moving back six spots in the draft. Um and the, the knocks against them are they, uh, like like many NFL teams, seem to be overconfident in their evaluations of players. So they like they had to trade up to get um, Andre Diller. They had to trade up to get Jordan Davis. And those might be good prospects, but you're, uh, you're probably leaning too much on your own evaluations of these players rather than just letting players fall to you and, and taking the best player there. Um, they... Their 2019 draft was pretty bad, so th- this was the trade-up for uh, Dillard, and they, they took Miles Sanders in the second. And um, uh, maybe a lot of teams would have done this, but they took uh, Arcega Whiteside in, uh, ahead of DK Metcalf as well. So th- those are kind of the uh, the downsides for them. But overall, I, I think they, they do a lot of things right. Yeah, yeah. They are also uh, number four for me, so we're in alignment again here. Uh, yeah, I, I think you really hit on the main thing with – Howie and the Eagles is that you don't agree with everything, but he is another guy in a similar way to how Ballard was able to get out of the, of the Wentz situation that 
you know, well, I guess he was able, <laughs> it was the Ponzi scheme, the Wentz Ponzi scheme. He was at the top. Uh, so you want to be at the top of the Wentz Ponzi scheme. And that's, that's why maybe the Browns are at the top of the Wentz Ponzi scheme since they traded away the picks for him <laughs> initially, but everyone has benefited uh, on, on the way down there. And yeah, I mean, I wrote a big article about Jalen Hurts coming in as a pick and why I like that. So again, being able to get out of these situations is important. Um, I do think they've really pressed in a little bit more than I'm comfortable with sometimes in the, you know, let's, let's go for it type of situation in, uh, and, but, but again, he's been, he's definitely been able to get out of that. And obviously Hertz has, has bought him a lot here. So I do have confidence in, in that did, did not like the trade up, uh, th- this year for Jordan Davis, but whatever, it, it, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to quibble too much with that when we have a track record of, of success. And, you know, they were, they were a team that has really adopted a lot of maybe some stuff that Chip Kelly brought in. There's a lot of bad to Chip Kelly when it comes to the personnel decisions as a head coach, but the sports science stuff, building a very, very robust analytics department there. Uh, a lot of good people have come from there. All that sort of stuff uh, I am in agreement with for the Eagles. So we, we'll just say here for my next one, and maybe I galaxy brain myself, but not galaxy brain, but maybe I'm leaning in a little too hard into recency on this one, but I actually have the chargers as being number five here. And the reason being, um, so again, slightly ahead of the bills, I probably should have the bills there, but I just, I'm trying, I'm trying to lean against kind of the success of what we've seen for, for the bills there. So why do, why do I like what the chargers have done? I mean, Telesco has been around for a long time. So he's been around since 2013 as the general manager here. And if you go back far enough, you know, maybe there are some things that you can really quibble with. But even, you know, talking about some of these early uh, running back picks that had happened in the past, it's so long ago that it's kind of, it, it, to me, it's a little bit hard to say, oh, we drafted Melvin Gordon at number 15 overall in 2015. So therefore... He's dead to me. So I'm not going to do that. But then as far as digging the way out here, what I like is, again, they haven't used a lot of picks on low-value positions, although they did draft a guard in the the first round (laughs) this year. But they've been fairly patient as far as letting some good players fall to them. I mean, letting Rashawn Slater fall to them last year without getting too you know up and uh, up in arms about what could possibly happen there i think was pretty interesting and then you know just letting justin herbert fall to them too now they got lucky obviously and but i think that not letting the noise of the situation really cloud the decision making there thinking that you had to jump up ahead of anyone being content to take this guy without having to waste additional draft capital there i think was pretty good now do they also trade up for Kenneth Murray, the the, the off ball linebacker that year? They may have, so not not great again. But I like the that obviously he was highly involved in the decision uh, to bring in to bring in uh, Brandon Staley there. And what they've done is in free agency. I'm ki- I'm kind of a fan of being able to build around that and go in on this team now. They don't have a very robust analytics department, I believe. Uh, I know they hired someone from the Browns there a couple of years ago. So I don't know if it's really a sticky thing with them, but I guess I'm giving them a little bit more credit and maybe I should have them behind the bills as opposed to the bills being right next to them, the honorable mention, but I did throw the chargers in here generally falling into this bucket of team. Like I can't complain too much about what they're doing. So I, I did not have them at five. Um, I didn't even think about the chargers and I, I think those are, <laughs> those are, those are fair points. But I had 
a different LA team that drafted a running back in 2015. <laughs> so this is funny because we went very different directions with this. Yeah. Um, do you, should we, do you want to talk about the Chargers more or should I make my rants? Case no, here? no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, unless you have, like you said, the Chargers are pretty boring. So, but sometimes boring <laughs> is like top five to me sometimes, yeah. but go ahead. So as I said before, I think there's a, a clear tier drop off after the, the first four teams. And we had yeah. three of those four. So we had the number one, three and four, we had the same. And then the, the bills and Colts. So maybe like a non-controversial top five would be, uh, Ravens, Bills, Browns, Eagles, Colts would be if, if okay. we took yeah, our, consen- so. our so. consensus ranking, that would be the top five. And I, I think that's basically what uh, Seth Walder found in, in his survey too. So combi- combining all this and making a consensus big board of <laughs> um, teams, then, then that's what we would get. And then after that, we're kind of taking the next step into, into teams. So with all that said, the the Rams defense is... For one, and I mentioned this with the Bills, but this is even more true with the Rams, is they like they are always healthy. Um, and I think so much time has gone by that I, I think they really probably do have some sort of an advantage there with their, their sports science and staff and whatever they do. This is like the Rams are a very open team about a lot of things they do, but this is one thing that they, they just won't talk about. So I, I think they, they probably know something that other teams don't know and this is um, this isn't like decision making, but it is something that uh, has an impact uh, on their team. Uh, another uh, another point in their favor is that when they do take swings on players, they um, for the most part are on high value positions. So like they they thought they needed a quarterback, so they went out and got a quarterback. Um, they their other first round pick trades were for Brandon Cooks and for uh, Jalen Ramsey, which. Uh, I'm definitely not uh, a fan of the trade two first first round picks to uh, extend somebody, but um, with Ramsey, it's kind of been, it's worked out as well as as it possibly could have um, given the situation. Um, I think I'm forgetting one other trade that did not fall into this, but I can't even remember who this is anymore. Um, I'm trying to think what other trades that they've made. I mean, they and had you know, uh, the market. The Marcus Peters trade was kind of a was kind of a bad one. Oh yeah, bringing him in, bringing him in yeah. for a first and then sending him out for a fourth, <laughs> and then he uh, and then he be his first team All Pro, but he hasn't been that great <laughs> since. So yeah. Um, I, other things they do is like I'm sure a lot of teams do this, but the Rams might be getting more credit, maybe probably too much credit here. Is um, like their approach of the draft and, and talking about like supplementing combine time with. Um, actual measured player speed in college and like having a whole infrastructure to be able to do this and like bring in data to how they scout players. And again, I'm I'm sure a lot of teams do this, but the Rams are the ones that talk to the media about it. So they get credit for it and and probably more credit than they should. And then of course the, the cons here, like the, the Todd Gurley pick, the Todd Gurley extension, uh, they're very bad on fourth downs. Um, and uh, yeah, but those are the, the two main things that come to mind. Yeah, say so I don't know. Again, I'm, I I might be trying to be too contrarian here, but the thing is, I can't. I, I guess I just can't get behind the the like f them pick sort of mentality when it comes to some of this stuff. Because I mean, if you think about it, uh, like even all these picks that they've traded away, they're still not having picks right in the first round this year. So it's like the effects still haven't even, aren't even done for another couple of years. And 
they, you know, they survived losing lots of players in free agency for multiple seasons now. And that's something that they've been good at is collecting these comp picks. But at the same time, I feel like they've just been like on a heater when it comes to drafting these players who've ended up doing really, really well after giving them away. Um, and which has been helped by, by the fact that they have all those comp picks. So I guess, I don't know. I, I just can't, I can't put someone in the top five that kind of disregards the, uh, you know, the, trying to use picks and trying not to like go all in on an over and over again basis and kind of the, uh, what was the, was the Popeye character? Is it wimpy? Like the wimpy philosophy is, uh, you know, for hamburger today, I'll, I'll bring you two hamburgers for hamburger today sort of thing. Like they're just living on that forever. And I guess maybe it can last forever. Maybe it can last forever, but uh, then they won the, and they won a Super Bowl. So obviously from the results-based sort of stuff, I'll give you that. But I had them being not even really in the honorable mention category. I guess I didn't think about the... I'm not thinking about the injury stuff as much as you are. I just have them being down a bit lower, probably really near the top of my overrated category, just because I don't know. I just can't can't get behind the process a little bit when it comes to what they've done. And yet you have the Colts number two. <laughs> hey, the Colts are not trading away every single every single thing of what they've done. But I, I agree. I agree. Hey, you know it is it is it is what it is. But so I, I have a little bit more trouble with with them. Okay, let's see here. Um, is there anyone you want to mention? Is is a well? I'll, maybe I'll just mention a couple of like honorable mention sort of things. So I mean, I'm not gonna say honorable mention, but I'll say I'm at least interested in the Vikings. I think we have to say we're interested in the Vikings. So, but I can't say that we've seen a lot of great results necessarily there. I don't know if it is just randomness and luck of what's ended up happening versus actual skill. And I think maybe this is kind of similar to the charger situation, but at least the Bengals, I feel like have been building something pretty decent there, which I am kind of interested in. And, you know, the lions, I kind of don't hate too much what they've done over the last, over the last couple of seasons, but it's very early there when we're talking about Brad Holmes and what they're building there. So maybe it's someone I could get a little bit interested in. I'm not sure what to do though. What do you do with teams like the chiefs and the Packers and you know, the Patriots and others that are going to be like perennial teams that people are going to love? Yeah. So the, after the Colts as my first honorable mention, I actually wrote down the Packers. So I think, at least, at least for me, those were the, in addition to my top five, the two teams that um, should mention. So I, I think the Packers have done a lot of good things and people seem to think highly of them. So they, they were in my honorable mention category. Uh, the okay, the nice. Chiefs, I, I I didn't think of them as either um, either in the top or bottom. They're, they're just kind of in the mix of teams following a random walk of decisions to me. Okay. Okay. No, I agree with that. Okay. So we, we could kind of, maybe we'll talk about that as part of the overrated, underrated type of thing as we're doing this, because we probably need to spend the rest of the time just going through the, the bottom five here as the, as the clock continues to tick here. So why do actually, we should probably should have done this for the top five, but why don't we go, why don't we go five to one here as far as the worst team being the last one that we'll talk about. And let me see, uh, maybe, maybe I'll start on this one. As far as the bottom five teams here. So the teams that I have as the bottom five, I'm going to have as the fifth worst front office is the San Francisco 49ers. And um, the reason that I'm putting them there is, and it's kind of, it's been a series of things here. Now, 2017 was the year when 
uh, Lynch and Shanahan came in. I feel like this front office, maybe more than a lot of others, is highly, highly influenced by the head coach and Shanahan. And he's not, he's a little bit all over the place with what he's ended up doing here. And then Lynch becomes somewhat of the enabler in, in this situation, whether it be. I almost believe now that they were into Mac Jones last year and then they trade away all these picks and then they pivot to Trey Lance, despite the fact that they have Jimmy Garoppolo who they like. And it sounds like their main beef with Garoppolo was the fact that he was injured all the time and, you know, Garoppolo's performed pretty well. It's just like that just typifies to me their kind of decision-making where they're just all over the place with, with what's going on there. And if you go back even further, I mean, going, again, going back to this 2017 draft, they they took a running back from being off of their board, Joe Williams, to trading up for him in the fourth round. They traded up for a running back in the third round, Trey Sermon, last year, who never played the entire season, basically. Uh, they're just There just seems to be a lot of the whims of the coach and what is going on there. And even the, the best move, they've been, you know, I mean, they've been an awful team without Jimmy Garoppolo, when Jimmy Garoppolo has been. So even if Garoppolo was their best move coming in, I don't know how much of that was savvy on their part, as opposed to it looks like it was more Bill Belichick was being forced to get rid of Garoppolo by ownership. He was like, all right, where's a good place for him to go? Um, I like these guys. Jimmy likes these guys. Let me call them up, say, hey, do you want to send us a second round pick, which was seen as being a steal at the time for Jimmy Garoppolo. And then they sent the pick and, and he went over there. So I don't think it was necessarily a deft uh, move on their part, even to secure Garoppolo, who has given them the success that they've had through the years. And by this like bottoming out that they have every other season, they've also been able to get players like Nick Bosa and others near the top of the draft uh, where that wouldn't normally happen for a team with sustained success. Uh, at the same point, I'll say on the positive side, I like Parag Marte there, who's who's their guy, who's helped them negotiate through a lot of the stuff. Really good stuff on the contract side that they've had there. Um, but a lot of the other stuff I'm I'm saying is negative enough to put them into the bottom five. Yeah, so this is funny because you uh, you DM me saying that we should also talk about like someone that we think is an overrated front office or yeah. analytics front office, and and this is the team that I wrote down. I I didn't have them in my top five, and now. I'm wondering if maybe I should, but I, I, I think of them as overrated because a lot of people think that they are like a, a savvy, forward-thinking front office. And um, PFF George, I love you, but I disagree <laughs> on this one. Uh, and even like even in um, Seth Walder's survey, the, the 49ers were like, let's see, one, two, three. They were like eighth in um, the, the number of votes for which teams are the top five most analytically inclined. And I think like if we just observe the results or the, the actions that they make, I, I think that is crazy. So they like in, in the 2017 draft, I, I wrote down a lot of things, apologies in advance. So in the 2017 draft, they were and this really is when struggling. Peter King was embedded with them. Peter King was embedded yes. with them. So we, so we, we heard about all these things. And of course, I think he might, I don't know if he was embedded with the Cowboys the year before, but everyone was like high-fiving each other about that <laughs> Cowboys draft because they got Dak Prescott in the fourth round after trying to trade up for all these other guys, you know? Uh, but anyway, go ahead. So in the 2017 draft, they they had Ruben Foster at number three on their big board, according to this. <laughs> I totally Peter forgot King about Ruben Foster, yeah. So he was, he was an awful linebacker with uh, medical shoulder red flag and um, concerns about his past. And they had him at three on their big board. Um, they were very, they strongly considered taking him. They took Solomon Thomas instead. 
And then once Foster got down to three or got down to 12, they started calling every single team from <laughs> pick from pick 12 through pick 26, trying to trade up to draft Ruben Foster. They, they finally succeeded by trading up with the Seahawks. Um, and obviously that, that has not worked out well for them. So that, that's kind of red flag for their process. Number one. Oh yeah, that, that uh, article is great because Parag is like the only adult there who's kind of helping, <laughs> like helping them not like this 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 toddler not like burn down the house basically when it's Lynch and Shanahan trying to burn down the house. Go ahead. Yeah, that, from that same draft, there was also the uh, the Joe Williams pick that wasn't even on their board that you mentioned. Um, they they traded a second round pick for D Ford who needed a eighty five million dollar extension. Uh, they. The San Francisco 49ers reportedly made a serious push to sign free agent running back Le'Veon Bell. This is when, like he, the, this this was before the Jets signed into a very large contract. They they gave Jarek McKinnon and Tevin, Tevin Coleman large contracts. They traded up for Trey Sermon, um, and like, they're the the one team out of any team that you would think you would realize you don't need to invest a lot of money to get production uh, out of running backs, but they keep doing it over and over and over again. Uh, they're very bad on fourth downs. And um, finally, they took Javon Kinlaw when uh, Judy Lamb and Jefferson were still there, which I, I do not think was a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an understanding. Yeah, and the McKinnon contract is low-key one of the worst yep. uh, signings. I mean, they, they had like a ton of money just to throw all over the place then, but still, just bad, bad, bad there. Okay, so you do not have the 49ers as in, in your bottom five. Bad, yeah, you're, I, bad I on that. That. you're bad on that part. Uh, who did you have as your number five? So I have kind of two tiers of badness. So <laughs> tier <laughs> tier one is um, the less bad part. And this is the, the umbrella I have here is that there, there's, there's no evidence that analytics are any part of their process. It's just not something that they do. And yeah. the, the group of teams I have here are... Um, if I had a sixth worst, I would put the Bengals and then my fifth worst kind of tied for fifth and fourth would be uh, Washington and Tennessee where there, there's just no evidence that they uh, yeah, yeah. invest in analytics, do anything with analytics there. They just exist as a yeah, traditional the, football team. The and, Bengals just invested <laughs> in Microsoft office, I think within the, last, <laughs> within the last few years. So, yeah. So, so that's my cluster of bottom six through four. Okay. Okay. So all of those are are in that sort of sort of range there. Okay, that that makes sense. Okay, so this might be a slightly controversial. I don't have a slightly controversial, but it's funny for this podcast. So I'll, I guess I'll talk about my fourth then, and then you can yep. come back with your with your third then. So my fourth, uh, and and we'll see. Maybe maybe out of out of uh, rage, you've put them as as no, as the worst. But I am putting your Seattle Seahawks as as the fourth worst front office there. And I know this would have been, talk about apocryphal, this would have been <laughs> insane to even have thought of for about the last decade now, coming off of what the most successful drafts in NFL history, bringing in Russell Wilson, bringing in you know Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, all these different guys that they brought in th- during that couple-year time span there, Cam Chancellor, everyone else, building that team, working everything in. But the problem is, I don't know what you can really point to uh, beyond that there. And you pointed to and seemed uh, very relieved by the fact that they they didn't do anything tremendously stupid as far as positional value <laughs> in this year's draft. So maybe they're getting a little bit better in that regard um, until they got Kenneth Walker, of course, in, 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 in the second round. But 
I don't know, it's just hard for me to point to anything in the last half decade, at least, that you can really be that excited about, whether it's the Jamal Adams trade, whether it's the different players that they've taken who were overrated and poor positional value type of players early in the in the draft, whether it is now they have like this three-headed running back situation where you can't go, <laughs> you can't even figure anything out. And then, of course, just the general overarching philosophy of going as far as kind of running a hall of fame quarterback out of town ish a bit and doubling further in on it to the point that we're like, is Drew Locke going to start games to start the season? I guess so. Um, I mean, it just really is that amazing. And I know that it's hard to put a franchise that's been this successful for this long, but I don't see anywhere else you can put them other than in the bottom five at this point. Uh, I think this is a very generous ranking to the Seahawks. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure where you're going to have them. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. So let's do. Do you have anything to say, or do you want to just maybe we'll come back to when to when to when you have them ranked, and you can you can say what you what you want there because because you might yeah again you might be all the way down at the bottom here. So why don't you just rather than talking about the Seahawks, clearly you have them even lower on here. Um, why don't you hit me with number th- uh, the third worst team for you? And then it doesn't sound like this is going to be the Seahawks. So we can still, we can delay your Seahawks rant for a little bit later. Sure. So I, I mentioned before, so I have two, two tiers of badness. So the, the first tier we already talked about with right. the analytics doesn't exist, but they're not, they're not like making catastrophic decisions that could be prevented by having um, one analytics person that they could listen to. So right. the other tier is they do make very bad decisions um, and they're, they're not, not analytics driven. And if they had one person in the process they listened to, they could prevent a lot of bad moves that they make. So with all that said, my third worst team or 30th best is the New York Jets. The New York Jets. I like it. I like it. They did not make my top five worse, but I agree there is a case for them. And I feel like you're leaning in just because the Jets fans are, are number one. <laughs> As far as salty, being salty about anyone who is not crowning this last draft they have where they drafted the the top, you know, who, who will end up being the cornerback one, the running back one, the edge one and the wide receiver one of the class. You're not you're not buying that that was worth the investment and the trade ups and everything else there. G- g- give me give me your jets. And, and, you know, what are we on now? Is this. Is this two or three drafts for Joe Douglas? He's got three drafts. No, two drafts. I think I it's. Know. I think he was hired right after the 2020 draft. So I think okay, he yeah, did two, the... two two drafts. Two drafts for Joe Douglas. But we do have uh, off season moves that have happened there. Uh, okay, go ahead and 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 give me what you're thinking. Sure. So the the one really really great thing they did was the Jamal Adams trade. But I don't think they should get credit for this because they traded a player who wanted to be traded. So it's it's yes. not like they said. Um, we're, we're choosing between a big contract extension or uh, trying to trade something. It was, it was Adams that wanted out and they shopped around and got a great deal for him, the best deal they could find almost surely and traded him. So this is a great move, but I don't know that they should get credit for it. And it's certainly not something that is repeatable and you probably don't want to be such a bad organization that your players don't want to play there anyway. So it, it worked, it worked out for the Jets in this case, but um, I'm not really giving them a ton of credit for this. If we look at their drafts, so last year they they paid an obscene amount in draft capital to move up to take a guard in the first round, uh, and like 
There, there's just no defense for that move. Um, he, he could turn out. It's funny about well. the Jets fans now, though, is they'll be like, "Oh, you still don't like that trade?" And I was like, "What? The guy was like average. Like you had an average guard play as a rookie, and now we're uh, spiking the football." But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's that, and then in this draft, they like it, it was a very small amount, but they traded up uh, to draft a running back, and um, they uh, were very proud of the fact that they got a running back that they had at number 18 on their big board uh, in the second round, but. Having having that uh, player at that position, no matter how well he turns out in the NFL, it's just like you, you can't just have a big board that doesn't have positional value. Well, I guess you can, but you really shouldn't, and it, it's going to lead you to make bad decisions. So I think their draft is going to be uh, it, it's going to help them because in part because of the Jamal Adams trade where they were gifted uh, the number ten pick, and that's that's going to help them a lot. And and maybe this draft will turn around their franchise, but it's hard to look at actual decisions they have made and have any confidence in this regime moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I mean, maybe I should have had them in the top five. I did have them specifically lint, uh, listed as being a dishonorable mention, I guess you'd call it <laughs> as being near uh, right outside of, of that. Um, did he sign Mosley too? Did he make the CJ Mosley contract? I don't know. Yeah. I think that that's was, right. Yeah. Cause that was, that was one of the worst free agent contracts over the last couple of years so that yeah there is a lot bad to it now the, the reason I, I was i was could we have two drafts in you know a few off seasons in i was giving them maybe a little bit more time to figure things out uh i do think if you give a lot of gms like this much draft capital that the the jets have had over the last two seasons that most of them would be too tempted it's like the marshmallow experiment or something like you gave these guys very few GMs are not eating that marshmallow really quickly to to wait to get more marsh, marshmallows lately uh, later. Right. They are they are using that. And I think that's what Joe Douglas has done. And one of the things that I said about him going into this draft is that, you know, low key, like if the Jets are not good this year, he's going to get fired. He already. Right. So I did think he would also be tempted in this draft to to move in. And this offseason to maybe spend a little bit too much. But then again, he, but then he didn't really, he traded for running back. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess there's no excuse for that either, any way you go. So I, I agree. They should probably be down. They're definitely in the top and in the bottom 10 for me. But I didn't have them quite down there yet because maybe I was giving them a little bit too much too much uh, credit or too much runway for to figure out what, what they have to do a few more things wrong before I really put them in there. Okay, so my third worst front office here. And... You know, I don't know if I have strong feelings about this, but it's just I have no faith over a long period of time that this is a this is a front office that's going to be able to turn things around from what I have seen over a pretty long period of time. Uh, and that is that are the Arizona Cardinals are falling into my third third worst here. Now, again, it's hard necessarily to point out big, big mistakes. I mean, they took, you know, off ball linebackers in the first round over the last not this year, but the last couple of, of years. And they barely were they were starting behind like a journeyman veteran type of player there so that was pretty poor process there i mean they got out of the rosen deal because they brought in kyler murray and i think that's fine but at the same time they just don't seem to be kind of flailing around interchanging pieces bringing guys in having guys go out and i just don't see any direction to this team so the reason i'm putting down pretty far here maybe without even being able to point at a bunch of egregious moves is just, if I were going to bring in a front office, 
having seen what uh, Steve Keim and everyone has done there over the last several years, if I was going to bring in a front office anew to run my team to say, we're going to build this into a Super Bowl champion, I'm just really confident at this point that it's not going to happen with, with this front office, um, as confident as I would be in almost any front office. And for that reason, uh, not necessarily a low end reason, but just I just don't see the high end outcomes with with this front office. So that's why I have them in my bottom three. But I realize they're not going to evoke a lot of emotions for people. Yeah, I, I think that's all totally fair. I didn't have them in my my bottom five, but I understand the argument, and I, I certainly sympathize with the not really trusting them to ever take this team to um, a high end outcome unless they get exceptionally lucky with a draft or something. Yeah, I mean, I just like what, what I mean. I, I don't mind Trey McBride, like that they drafted in the second round, but then, you know, they they gave a bunch of money to Zach Ertz to do I don't know who who knows what. Uh, they drafted kind of this gadget receiver, Rondale Moore, last year in the second round. He's not really doing anything. I mean, they're just not they're just not positioning themselves. I feel like to do to do that well, and yeah, there's just nothing I can really I can really get get excited about. All right, so let's send it over to you. I guess we're down to two now, right? Second worst. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so is this going to be the Seahawks or are they going to be number one? I, I'm, I'm on pins and needles waiting for this. So I really struggled with this and I, I thought it would be a little too harsh to put the Seahawks at, at bottom. And this is partially because I follow the Seahawks more closely than any other team, obviously. So it's easy for me to have this like Rolodex of mistakes in my head that the Seahawks have made that I don't have for every team. So it's not completely fair to compare them to um, other teams. So I, uh, I, so I think the next team below them is slightly worse. I'm, I'm very curious to know if they're even on your bottom five, um, but we'll see. So for the Seahawks, so like there's, there's this is me sighing, and there, there's so many things that they have done poorly. And and again, this this is my tier of we're going to need a whole one, separate podcast, I think, to discuss. <laughs> if you this. have one analytics person who could veto decisions. Uh, this team would be so much better off. So, like, the obvious one is the Jamal Adams trade, uh, along with alienating your quarterback and eventually um, letting him get away, which, like, uh, top-tier quarterbacks in their prime don't get traded very often, especially when they're not actually demanding a trade. And the the Seahawks' inability to build around him, like, for example, putting together a a real offensive line once in a decade – probably played uh, a role in him wanting to uh, try out something else. Uh, They spent a first round pick on Rashad Penny and then they paid Chris Carson and then they paid Rashad Penny and then they spent second round pick on a running back. Um, And you you could argue that running back was a hole for them this year, but not enough of a hole to spend the number 41st pick on a running back given the state of their roster. Uh, they're, They're bad on fourth downs. And there, there's just there's there's no evidence that there's any sort of um, rigorous evidence based process that is guiding any of their decision making. Yeah, I think that 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 sums it up. I mean, I already had to enough on yeah. my on my go around. So, okay, so the, yeah, this will be interesting to see if my bottom two ends up being your you in, in any of mine on my bottom two. Now this one's going to be by this is going to be the most controversial one by far because I think because it's a team that commonly will show up in maybe a top 10 sort of list. Um but I have it as the second worst and this is the New Orleans Saints. Now the Saints you know they've been a successful franchise for for a long time. So they've always been able to dig themselves out of mistakes, but 
I think if we take a little bit of a longer lens, if we go to pre-2017 draft that acquired players that had really been able to, to float them despite a lot of bad decisions, then we start to get into some of the badness of, of what has gone on here. I mean, so Mickey Loomis has been around in that front office since 2013. In 2013, they were 11 and 5 in 2013. This is with Drew Brees the entire time. Brees is never injured, never misses any time. This is with Sean Payton, right? Uh, starting starting that seat. Well, he shot, actually, Sean Payton was around before that. I forgot he had to take some time off for his little uh, Kevin James adventure. Um, so, start, so starting there with those two players, 11 and 5, the next three seasons, 7 and 9, 7 and 9, 7 and 9. They were in absolute cap hell uh at that point now they do go 11 and 5 13 and 3 13 and 3 and 12 and 4 after that great 2017 draft but if it's not for that 2017 draft that bails them out i just don't know what we're talking about with this team because the way that they've operated is trading up for you know edge players and giving up future first round picks they've never seen a future first round pick that they haven't wanted to trade away and if you look at what they've done in this particular draft is maybe the most egregious of all where they trade back into the they trade into the first round to get an extra first round pick because basically in my opinion is they're trying to go all in again this season and they couldn't spend money during free agency the only thing they could do was spend future first round picks and then they were so locked in on saying we're going to get a tackle and we're going to get a wide receiver that they traded up again within the first round to go and get the receiver that they wanted so it's just another evidence of me of the fact that I just I get it Loomis maybe he's the greatest talent evaluator of all time but every move that he makes goes against a lot of stuff that I would want to do as as a front office person and an underplayed part here uh perhaps is to say that he's also been the executive vice president of basketball operations for the new orleans pelicans since 2012 (laughs) so hey you know not a lot going on over there either um so I, i guess that's what i would say that's what i would say now for for the saints that despite be one of the most successful franchises over the last few years since the 2017 draft. I just cannot get behind anything that they do process wise and would not be confident that it would work if they try again. And it's more likely even with great quarterback play, they would be kind of that seven and nine, eight and eight team over a long enough timeline with the type of moves that uh, that front office has made. They were my worst team. So I, oh, I agree yeah. with every, everything <laughs> yeah. you just said. You have them down there. All right. All right. So wait, anything else that I, that I missed that goes part of, of the rationale there? Nope. I, I think the, the big highlight thing is just how, how bad they are at draft pick trades where they like, they, they just use a completely different market from everybody else in there. Like if, if you're a team on draft day and you want to trade down, like you, you, the first thing you should do is try calling the Saints to see if um, they'll trade with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much a guarantee that that that'll happen uh, every single year. So, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see what ends up happening with um, with the Saints this year. I mean, I'm relatively high on Jameis, so I guess there's some possibility that with the going all in again here that they could sneak back into a, the playoffs in a week uh, NFC. But I'm a little dubious that that will end up happening. Okay, so we'll wrap it up here um, with. Well, maybe, maybe we, I can also I can ask you about the overrated stuff at the end quickly. But we'll, we'll, 
wrap it up here with my my worst team, and maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh because it has because this front office has not been in existence for for more than a couple of uh, drafts and a couple of seasons here. But I'm going to go ahead and put the Jacksonville Jaguars and Trent Baalke as being the worst front office in the NFL. Uh, just haven't seen anything to inspire me. Maybe not as egregiously aggressive as far as trading away uh, picks as you would see with the Saints. So you could make an argument on a process basis that they haven't been as bad, but there's just nothing to get excited about. Nothing to get excited about with the free agent moves, nothing to get excited about with what they've done in the draft last season or this season. And, you know, maybe bulky isn't, wasn't exactly driving the bus last year with urban Meyer there, but he was in the bus and everyone who had any influence on what was going on there, I feel like has to be hit pretty severely. And then you go into this season where they're just throwing bucket loads of money at everyone uh, (laughs) under the sun. You know, Christian Kirk is obviously like the deal of the off season that people are pointing to for what's going on there. But even beyond that, I mean, we had the, you know, the ETN pick uh, last year, you had this year where you have the number one overall pick and who knows, like maybe, uh, maybe Trayvon Walker actually be that, that good. Maybe he'll be that guy. Maybe he'll be uh, the number one guy of all time, but of this draft, but he just does not seem like that type of player. Uh, then they trade back into the first round for an off-ball linebacker. Then they take a guard a- a- after that, which is fine. And we're talking about the third round here. But again, you, you talk about in the course of two drafts that he's had there, paying so much for Trayvon Walker, off-ball linebacker, a running back in the first round in ETN before. I'm just not confident with that and the free agent signings we've seen that have gone nowhere that you know he's probably going to be fired before the season is over in, in all likelihood and maybe – it's like a duh sort of thing to put him and the Jaguars there, but I'm going to go ahead and do so. Yeah, I think that's all reasonable. They probably should have been in my bottom five, and there, there's you could absolutely make the argument that they're worse than, for example, uh, Washington and Tennessee. So I, I have no uh, argument here. Okay, so do you have any like spicy, overrated, <clears throat> underrated that we'll talk about before before we get out of here? So I, my overrated was San Francisco, uh, which, which we talked about already. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I had the, I, I, you know, the Bucks maybe is a, is a little bit of a overrated situation here. Again, they're showing up near the top of a lot of places, but you mentioned the 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 Tom Brady uh, play and everything else again. I think another one that might be slightly overrated, at least that at least it's spicy to say that could be overrated is the Steelers because. Like, I don't know what they're doing there analytically. I know they had uh, Kareem Kassam there for a while, and then he was ended up moving on to someplace else. I know they seem to have some friendly stuff there, but we, we just got an example the other day of when they traded up for uh, for Devin Bush in from, from you know 20 to 10 to get that off-ball linebacker who was going to complete the championship puzzle of a number of years back. I, I just think it's tough with some of these franchises to disentangle like what having hall of fame quarterback play can do for you, what having a hall of fame, in my opinion, hall of fame, a wide receiver play from Antonio Brown for a guy that was drafted in the fifth round can do for you uh, over a long period of time. And I know there's been stability there for a long time, but I always have trouble, you know, disentangling stability with, having really great quarterback play there. So I think the Steelers are just maybe not a team that I would be confident in, uh, in their front office, which I know is changing over at this point, but I would be confident in their front office. Whereas most 
people would have them kind of locked into being like a top five type of stability franchise and team. Yeah, I I probably would have considered them as one of, closer to the bottom if, if they weren't having this turnover at the top. But yeah, I, I would not, if it was the previous regime and they continued making decisions how they have been, I would not have any confidence in them. All right. Well, we've we've probably pissed off enough fan bases here now that we've gone we've gone all the way through the end. Uh, ben, you got anything spicy that you're working on for RB uh, Running Backs Don't Matter dot com or anything or, or at the Athletic that you want to preview for us? Uh, not coming. Uh, I just wrote about the Seahawks draft and was trying to be optimistic about the Seahawks, where I actually did like their draft uh, aside from the Kenneth Walker pick. So it, it's definitely a, a positive departure from the past, and if they can string together a few more of these, then maybe they'll get out of the bottom here. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're going to get maybe the first ever uh, platoon, first platoon situation, a, a good Geno Smith, not, not by design, <laughs> but a Geno Smith, Drew Locke platoon. I think every other series, they're going to be like, okay, it can't be worse. And then they'll just bring in the other guy and just go back and forth <laughs> the entire year. So uh, a good quarterback draft coming up though. So you know, there's hope. There's hope on the horizon uh, for the Seahawks, perhaps there. Uh, all right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Ben, again, for joining me. Go ahead, rate, review the pod. I'll be at you again later this week talking about the whatever's going on for the rest of the week here. Otherwise, uh, I appreciate everyone listening, and I'll talk to you then. <laughs>